0: Chapter 14 of The Gold Hunters by James Oliver Curwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter 14. The paper in the old tin box slowly out of that mysterious gloom there grew a shape before Rod's eyes. At first it was only a shadow, then it might have been a rock and then the gulp in his throat leaped out in a shout when he saw that Wabigoon's sharp eyes had, in truth, discovered the old cabin of the map. For what else could it be? What else but the wilderness home of the adventurers whose skeletons they had found, Peter Plant and Henri Langlois, and John Ball, the man whom these two had murdered? Rod's joyous voice was like the touch of fire to Wabi's enthusiasm, and in a moment the oppressive silence of their journey down the chasm was broken by the wild cheers which the young gold-seekers sent echoing between the mountains. Grimacing and chuckling in his own curious way, Mukoki was already slipping along the edge of the rock, seeking some break by which he might reach the lower chasm. They were on the point of turning to the ascent of the mountain, along which they would have to go until they found such a break, when the old pathfinder directed the attention of his companions to the white top of a dead cedar stub projecting over the edge of the precipice. "'Go down that, maybe,' he suggested, shrugging his shoulders to suggest that the experiment might be a dangerous one. Rod looked over. The top of the stub was within easy reach, and the whole tree was entirely free of bark or limbs, a fact which in his present excitement did not strike him as especially unusual swinging his rifle strap over his shoulders he reached out caught the slender apex of the stub and before the others could offer a word of encouragement or warning was sliding down the wall of the rock into the chasm wabi was close behind him and not waiting for mukoki's descent the two boys hurried toward the cabin Halfway to it, Wabi stopped. "'This isn't fair! We've got to wait for Muky. They looked back. Mukoki was not following. The old warrior was upon his knees at the base of the dead tree, as though he was searching for something among the rocks at its foot. Then he rose slowly and rubbed his hands along the stub as high as he could reach when he saw that rod and wabi were observing him he quickly came toward them and Wabigoon, who was quick to notice any change in him was confident that he had made a discovery of some kind what have you found muki not so very much funny tree grunted the indian smooth as a fireman's brass pole added rod seeing no significance in mukoki's words Listen!" He stopped so suddenly that Wabigowan bumped into him from behind. "'Did you hear that?' "'No!' For a few moments the three huddled close together in watchful silence. Mukoki was behind the boys, or they would have seen that his rifle was ready to spring to his shoulder and that his black eyes were snapping with something not aroused by curiosity alone. The cabin was not more than twenty paces away. It was old, so old that Rod wondered how it had withstood the heavy storms of the last winter. A growth of saplings had found root in its rotting roof, and the logs of which it was built were in the last stage of decay. There was no window, and where the door had once been there had grown a tree a foot in diameter almost closing the narrow aperture through which the mysterious inhabitants had passed years before a dozen paces five paces from this door and mukoki's hand reached out and laid itself gently upon wabi's shoulder rod saw the movement and stopped a strange look had come into the old indian's face an expression in which there was incredulity and astonishment as if he believed and yet doubted what his eyes beheld mutely he pointed to the tree growing before the door and to the reddish crumbling rot into which the logs had been turned by the passing of generations red pine he said at last that cabin more'n twenty thousand year old there was an awesome ring in his voice rod understood and clutched wabi's arm In an instant he thought of the other old cabin in which they had found the skeletons. They had repaired that cabin and had passed the winter in it, and they knew that it had been built half a century or more before. But this cabin was beyond repair. To Rod it seemed as though centuries of time instead of decades had been at work on its timbers. Following close after Wabi, he thrust his head through the door. Deep gloom shut out their vision, but as they looked, steadily turning their eyes to the darkness within, the walls of the old cabin took form, and they saw that everywhere was vacancy. There was no ancient table, as in the other cabin they had discovered at the head of the first chasm. There were no signs of the life that had once existed, not even the remnants of a chair or a stool. The cabin was bare. Foot by foot, the two boys went around its walls. Mukoki took but a single glance inside and disappeared. Once alone, he snapped down the safety of his rifle. Quickly, as if he feared interruption, he hurried around the old cabin, his eyes close to the earth. When Rod and Wabi returned to the door, he was at the edge of the fall, crouching low among the rocks like an animal seeking a trail. Wabi pulled his companion back. "'Look!' The old warrior rose, suddenly erect, and turned toward them, but the boys were hidden in the gloom. Then he turned to the dead stub beside the chasm wall. Again he reached far up, rubbing his hand along its surface. "'I'm going to have a look at that tree,' whispered Wabi. "'Something is puzzling. Are you coming?' He hurried across the rock-strewn opening, but Rod hung back. He could not understand his companions. For weeks and months they had planned to find this third waterfall. Visions of a great treasure had been constantly before their eyes, and now that they were here, with the gold perhaps under their very feet, both Mukoki and Wabigawan were more interested in a dead stub than in their search for it his own heart was almost bursting with excitement. The very air which he breathed in the old cabin set his blood leaping with anticipation. Here, those earlier adventurers had lived half a century or more ago. In it, the lifeblood of the murdered John Ball might have ebbed away. In this cabin, the men whose skeletons he had found had slept and planned and measured their gold. And the gold! It was that and not the stub that interested Roderick Drew. Where was the lost treasure? Surely the old cabin must hold some clue for them. It would at least tell them more than the limbless white corpse of a tree. From the door he looked back into the dank gloom, straining his eyes to see, and then glanced across the opening. Wabi had reached the stub, and both he and Mukoki were on their knees beside it probably they have found the marks of a lynx or a bear thought rod a dozen paces away something else caught his eyes a fallen red pine dry and heavy with pitch and in less than a minute he had gone to it and was back with a torch breathlessly he touched the tiny flame of a match to the stick for a moment the pitch sputtered and hissed then flared into light and Rod held the burning wood above his head. The young gold-seeker's first look about him was disappointing. Nothing but the bare walls met his eyes. Then in the farthest corner he observed something that in the dancing torchlight was darker than the logs themselves, and he moved toward it. It was a tiny shelf, not more than a foot long, and upon it was a small tin box black and rust-eaten by the passing of ages. With trembling fingers Rod took it in his hand. It was very light, probably empty. In it he might find the dust of John Ball's last tobacco. Then suddenly, as he thought of this, he stopped in his search, and a muffled exclamation of surprise fell from him. In the glow of the torch he looked at the tin box. It was crumbling with age, and he might easily have crushed it in his hand, and yet it was still a tin box. If this box had remained, why had not other things? Where were the pans and kettles, the pail and frying pan, knives, cups, and other articles which John Ball and the two Frenchmen must at one time have possessed in this cabin? He returned to the door. Mukoki and Wabigawan were still at the dead stub. Even the flare of light in the old cabin had not attracted them. Tossing his torch away, Rod tore off the top of the tin box. Something fell at his feet, and as he reached for it, he saw that it was a little roll of paper, almost as discolored as the rust-eaten box itself. As gently as Mukoki had unrolled the precious birch-bark map a few months before, he smoothed out the paper. The edges of it broke and crumbled under his fingers, but the inner side of the roll was still quite white. Mukoki and Wabigoon, looking back, saw him suddenly turn toward them with a shrill cry on his lips, and the next instant he was racing in their direction, shouting wildly at every step. "'The gold!' he shrieked. "'The gold! Hurrah!' He was almost sobbing in his excitement when he stopped between them, holding out the bit of paper. "'I found it in the cabin, in a tin box. See, it's John Ball's writing, the writing that was on the old map. I found it, in a tin box!' Wabi seized the paper. His own breath came more quickly when he saw what was upon it. There were a few lines of writing dim but still legible and a number of figures across the top of the paper was written account of John Ball Henri Langlois and Peter Plant for month ending June thirtieth eighteen fifty nine below these lines was the following Plant's work nuggets seven pounds nine ounces dust One pound three ounces. Langlois work nuggets nine pounds thirteen ounces. Dust none. Ball's work nuggets six pounds four ounces. Dust two pounds three ounces. Total twenty seven pounds. Plant's share six pounds twelve ounces. Langlois share six pounds, twelve ounces. Ball's share, thirteen pounds, eight ounces. Division made." Softly, Wabigawan read the words aloud. When he finished, his eyes met Rod's. Mukoki was still crouching at the foot of the stub, staring at the two boys in silence, as if stupefied by what he had just heard. "'This doesn't leave a doubt,' said Wabi at last. "'We've struck the right place. "'The gold is somewhere very near.' "'Rod could not master the tremble in his voice. "'As though hoping to see the yellow treasure "'heaped in a pile before his eyes, "'he turned to the waterfall, "'to the gloomy walls of the chasm, "'and finally extended an arm to where the spring torrent, "'leaping over the edge of the chasm above, "'beat itself into frothing rage "'among the rocks between the two mountains.' it's there in the stream yes where else near this cabin would they have found pure nuggets of gold surely not in a rock and gold dust is always in the sands of streams it's there without a doubt both indians went with him to the edge of the water the creek widens here until it is very shallow said wabi I DON'T BELIEVE THAT IT IS MORE THAN FOUR FEET DEEP OUT THERE IN THE MIDDLE. WHAT DO YOU SAY?" HE PAUSED AS HE SAW MUKOKI SLIP BACK TO THE DEAD STUB AGAIN, AND WENT ON, WHAT DO YOU SAY TO MAKING A TRIP TO THE CANOE AFTER GRUB FOR OUR DINNER AND THE PANS? THE FIRST FLASH OF ENTHUSIASM THAT HAD FILLED Wabigoon ON READING THE PAPER DISCOVERED BY ROD WAS QUICKLY PASSING AWAY and the white youth could not but notice the change which came over both mukoki and his young friend when they stood once more beside the smooth white stub that reached up to the floor of the chasm above. He controlled his own enthusiasm enough to inspect more closely the dead tree which had affected them so strangely. The discovery he made fairly startled him. The surface of the stub was not only smooth and free of limbs, but was polished until it shone with the reflecting luster of a waxed pillar. For a moment he forgot the paper which he held in his hand, forgot the old cabin, and the nearness of gold. In blank wonder he stared at Mukoki, and the old Indian shrugged his shoulders. "'Very nice and smooth. Very damn smooth,' emphasized Wabi, without a suggestion of humor in his voice what does it mean asked rod it means continued wabigoon that this old stub has for a good many years been used by something as a sort of stairway in and out of this chasm now if it were a bear there would be claw marks if it were a lynx the surface of the stub would be cut into shreds any kind of animal would have left his mark behind AND NO ANIMAL WOULD HAVE PUT THIS POLISH ON IT. THEN WHAT IN THE WORLD— ROD DID NOT FINISH. Mukoki lifted his shoulders to a level with his chin, and Wabi whistled as he looked straight at them. NOT A HARD GUESS, HUH? YOU MEAN THAT IT'S A MAN. ONLY THE ARMS AND LEGS OF A MAN GOING UP AND DOWN THAT STUB HUNDREDS AND THOUSANDS OF TIMES "'Could have worn it so smooth. "'Now can you guess who that man is?' "'In a flash, the answer shot into Rod's brain. "'He understood now why this old stub had drawn his companions away from their search for gold, "'and he felt the flush of excitement go out of his own cheeks "'and an involuntary thrill pass up his back. "'The mad hunter!' "'Wabi nodded. Mukoki grunted and rubbed his hands. ''Gold in bullet come from here!'' said the old pathfinder. Bad dog, man, very swift on trail. We hurry, get canoe, cut down tree!'' ''That's more than you've said in the last half-hour, and it's a good idea!'' exclaimed Wabi. ''Let's get our stuff down here and chop this stub into firewood!'' when he comes back and finds his ladder gone he'll give a screech or two i'll wager and then it will be our chance to do something with him here goes he started to climb the stub and a minute or two later stood safely on the rock above slippery as a greased pole he called down bet you can't make it rod but rod did After a tremendous effort that left him breathless and gasping by the time Wabi stretched out a helping hand to him, Mukoki came up more easily. Taking only their revolvers with them, the three hurried to the birch bark and in a single load brought their possessions to the rock. By means of ropes, the packs and other contents of the canoe, and finally the canoe itself, were lowered into the chasm. And while the others looked on, Mukoki seized the axe and chopped down the stub. "'There!' he grunted, as a last blow sent the tree crashing among the rocks. "'Too high for him jump!' "'But a mighty good place for him to shoot from,' said Wabi, looking up. "'We'd better camp out of range.' "'Not until we know what we've struck.' cried Rod, unstrapping a pan from one of the packs. "'Boys, the first thing to do is to wash out a little of that riverbed!' He started for the creek, with Wabi close behind him bearing a second pan. Mukoki looked after them and chuckled softly to himself as he began making preparations for dinner. Choosing a point where the current had swept up a small bar of pebbles and sand, wabi and rod both set to work the white youth had never before panned gold but he had been told how it was done and there now shot through him that strange thrilling excitement which enthralls the treasure hunter when he believes that he has at last struck pay dirt scooping up a quantity of the gravel and sand he filled his pan with water then moved it quickly back and forth every few moments splashing some of the wash, or muddy water, over the side. Thus, filling and refilling his pan with fresh water, he excitedly went through the process of washing everything but solid substance out of it. With each fresh dip into the stream, the water in the pan became clearer, and within fifteen minutes, the three or four double handfuls of sand and gravel with which he began work dwindled down to one. Scarcely breathing in his eagerness, he watched for the yellow gleam of gold. Once a glitter among the pebbles drew a loud cry from him, but when, with the point of his knife, he found it to be only mica, he was glad that Wabi had not heard him. The young Indian was squatting upon the sand, with his pan turned toward a gleam of the sun that shot faintly down into the chasm. Without raising his head, he called to Rod. ''Found anything?'' ''No. Have you?'' ''No. Yes, but I don't think it's gold.'' ''What does it look like?'' ''It gleams yellow, but is as hard as steel.'' ''Mica,'' said Rod. Neither of the boys looked up during the conversation. With the point of his hunting knife, Rod still searched in the bottom of his pan turning over the pebbles and raking the gravelly sand with the painstaking care that would have made a veteran gold-seeker laugh. Some minutes had passed when Wabi spoke again. "'I say, Rod, that's a funny-looking thing I found. If it wasn't so hard, I'd swear it was gold. Want to see it?' "'It's mica," repeated Rod, as another gleam of fool's gold in his own pan caught his eyes the stream is full of it never saw mica in chunks before mumbled wabi bending low over his pan chunks cried rod straightening as if someone had run a pin into his back how big is it big as a pea a big pea the words were no sooner out of the young indian's mouth than roderick was upon his feet and running to his companion micah doesn't come in chunks where he bent over wabi's pan in the very middle of it lay a suspiciously yellow pebble worn round and smooth by the water and when rod took it in his fingers he gave a low whistle of mock astonishment as he gazed down into wabigawan's face wabi i'm ashamed of you he said trying hard to choke back the quiver in his voice Mica doesn't come in round chunks like this. Micah isn't heavy, and this is both. From the cedars beyond the old cabin came Mukoki's whooping signal that dinner was ready. End of chapter 14 Recording by Roger Moline